You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. In 2014, I was in Birmingham, Alabama, speaking at a uh, conference. There was about 70 church planters there. Um, there's the picture. And um, uh, Chuck, you were there for this as well. And uh, sitting in the audience that day was a guy named Rusty Lankford. Um, there he is, yeah. <laughs> that is a beardless Rusty Lankford. Actually, in the front row, uh, two rows up from Rusty, is Josh and April Samuels, uh, another couple that I met that day for the very first time. Um, but we won't talk about them. They're jewelry makers now. So, um, so. After this little conference is over, we were talking about church planting and missional communities and saturating the south of the gospel. Uh, Rusty came up to me, introduced himself and said, hey man, uh, you know, I don't know if you remember me, I think we've crossed paths before, but I'm Rusty. And he said, man, I love what you guys are doing in Paragold, Arkansas. And he said, um, you know, I've been a, a pastor of a traditional church, you know, for, a, for many years now. And he said, but, you know, honestly, he's like, I just want to give my life to, to being a part of a church that wants to make disciples who makes disciples and plants churches that plants churches. And I want to saturate the south of the gospel. And I don't want to spend my life just talking about, you know, debating what color of carpet we're going to have in our church building, man, but, but how we can continue to advance the kingdom of God, right, and spread the glory of God throughout uh, the world. And so, I mean, I liked Rusty already, but, but you know, he was quiet and, and to me he seemed a little bit timid. And so, uh, you know, I was just trying to judge him and try to figure out, you know, okay, a little bit about him. And he's said, you know, uh, what he said next kind of surprised me. He said, man, you know, though I've been a part of, of the traditional church for a long time, I'm willing to move my entire family across the country to come be at Fellowship Paragold. And I'll work a factory job or whatever I need to do, mow yards. And he said, I'm not even sure that I could plant a church or that I'm called to plant a church or even be a pastor, but I'll put myself under your authority and the authority of the elders there and that local body. And whatever you tell me, if you tell me you don't think I'm qualified to be a church planter or a pastor, I'll believe you and I'll just be the best disciple maker I can be within a factory or wherever God has placed me. And so I was impressed immediately with his heart. And so um, his family... As uh, probably 75% of you in here know, they moved here uh, in, I guess it was 2014, uh, to start a church planning residency here and to learn from us and basically discover if they believed that they were called to plant a church. And as many of you know, um, they did, uh, in fact, uh, feel the call from the Spirit to go and plant a church in Cleveland, Tennessee, and they have done so. We sent them out, uh, I guess it was last year, um, to plant Matthew's Table after about a two-year residency here. And while serving at Fellowship, as most of you know, uh, he didn't just go through the church planning residency, but we realized pretty quickly that even though we were going to send Rusty out, um, and he would be still in a lot of your hearts, that we still wanted him to serve in the role of a pastor uh, on our staff here. And, and in that time that we had together, um, Rusty just became a really dear friend to me, um, a friend that I needed. Uh, Adam even knew this at the time and had even prayed for that. It was just kind of a lonely season uh, for me, just really needing uh, other people around me that could encourage me and build me up. And so we even prayed that together when you were on staff in Kansas City. And, and then God sent Rusty to be a very dear friend to me and my wife. Life and uh, as many of you know, just a wonderful, loving shepherd um, here to this body. And so we are a better church today and will continue uh, to reap the fruits of his labor at, fel uh, at fellowship in the time he was here. And so, brother, so good to have you. I'm going to ask that you come up. Y'all welcome him as he comes up. I'll pray for you. 
Father, I thank you so much for this brother. I thank you for his impact in my life and in the life of this church. Um, I know everyone who's come into contact with him, um, they experience your love through Rusty. And um, I just pray that you'll be with him now, that you'll free him up to not feel any pressure whatsoever to come perform and to impress or to uh, to meet some sort of expectation that maybe we put on him. Um, I pray that he's just freed up to share from his heart. Holy Spirit, move in this time. Stir our hearts towards you. Uh, transform us from the inside out. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey. <laughs> Thank you for that. It is, it's almost surreal to be here. If somebody would have told me back in the beardless phase before I was too lazy to shave that I would call... Paragold, Arkansas home, I would have not had a clue where Paragold, Arkansas was, and I certainly would have not said that's a part of God's plan for my family. But as we're back here this weekend, it's, it is. I mean, I really feel like that we're coming back home. And God, by His grace, is building for us a home and a, and a great church family in Cleveland. But this will always be our sending church. This will always be the place where we learn what it actually looks like to live as family. What it actually looks like not to just treat church as an event. You show up on Sunday, sort of check it off your list, pat people on the back. I'll pretend like we're okay and then just go live a miserable week by yourself. And so especially when you've experienced that as a pastor, it's really refreshing. So a lot may have changed. You can probably tell my clothes hadn't changed. But... uh, One thing that's still the same is when I was here, I needed Jesus desperately. And I still do. And I'm just counting on the fact that you guys still need Jesus like you used to. And I'm so thankful to already have heard the gospel. I'm so thankful that you can just see how God is growing and working in this church under these awesome pastors that you have. Just getting to know Adam in this little season I'm already growing based on that, and so I'm just so thankful, thankful for what he's doing here. And so today we're going to look in Acts chapter 5, and we're going to look at just again how we need Jesus and how he's enough. And so that's all I got, and I guess that's all I'll ever have, but, uh, but it's enough. So Acts chapter 5, we're going to read verses 17 through 32. Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 32. And I think Ryan, yeah, he's got it up here on the board. And like always, I gave it to him at the last minute when I got here. So, old times. All right. Yeah, and Jared mentioned the floors look good. I did that, if y'all. So, thank you, Jared. All right, on that note, Acts five seventeen. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him... That is the party of the Sadducees. And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. They don't learn their lesson. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they didn't find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, "Um, 
Uh, we, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, there wasn't anybody inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. Someone came and told them, Look, the men who you put in prison, they're back standing in the temple teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. It is the name of Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to, do, to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Father, we, we ask you now to spare us from another Bible study. And by the power of your Spirit to transform our lives with the words of life. We pray that you would penetrate to the depths of our souls, to the depths of our stories, to the depths of our desires, to the depths of our beliefs, and that you conform us to the image of your Son. We need you, Holy Spirit. We put all our trust and our faith in you, Father, now as we come to your word. And we do this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, fear can make you do crazy things. So I'm not going to embarrass him, but I am. I've got my buddy Danny here, who's uh, one of my partners in mission and partners in crime. And you might think, well, that's just a saying. Well, I want to tell you a little story that happened lately to us about how fear can make you crazy. And so uh, in our neighborhood, we live in sort of this downtown area. There's like a college campus across the street from us. And at the end of our road, there's this super party house. You know the house. We're still in their 20s, right? Not sure what it looks like to grow up yet. And so they work on, they, they party all night, sleep, off the, sleep in the morning, and then go work enough to be able to buy the stuff they need to party again. And so at this house, one night, one of these girls, a, a nice-looking young college student, if I can say that without sounding like a perv or something but uh and so she she likes to go and sit in the front yard by one of those main roads and just sit on a, a, a tire swing by a tree she says four in the morning it's just the best time to relax well one morning she's sitting out there and she's telling danny and i this story and a white van pulls up you know where this is going creepy white van story and uh, and someone gets out of this van and starts to walk towards her Four in the morning. At first she thinks, oh, this is probably just a drunk, doesn't know where he's at. And so she says, hey, you're at the wrong house. You need to get, off, get, get out of here. But he continues to walk towards her, or what she thinks is a he. Who knows? And so she just runs around the house, goes in, and sort of hides. And she's pretty scared. And so she still tells some of the guys in the house that live there as well about what happened. And so the next night, they're out there as usual, four in the morning, just sort of chilling. And they notice this white van is circling the block. And so they're, they're getting really nervous. And now this white van not only circles the block, 
but it pulls in one of these sort of back streets where there's also houses and pulls up in a little driveway and just stops there. And so they, of course, start to approach the van. But as they get to the van, they're trying to see the license plate, but they can't see it clearly. It seems as if the, the license plate lights are out. That's what those are called. And, but the van, instead of like talking to them, just speeds off. And so now they're really starting to get scared because the next day, that van's circling again. And so we, we just are, they're telling us this, and I'm thinking, I got an 11-year-old daughter. I know a lot of people that live in our neighborhood, and this has all the markings of human trafficking. I mean, this is, this is scary. And so we, we start to get afraid, and Danny over here is Mr. Take Care of Business. And so the police have been called, but, you know, you never know when you can trust the police. They're not all like Jason Wolfenbarger, you know, coming in to save the day. And so, uh, you know, Danny here, he's got a heart to protect people. I mean, he, he really shows Jesus in that way to, to protect people. And so he's like, you guys, you know, please don't show up. You come down here and you get me if you see this again. And so next night, 3.30 in the morning, come down there and wake up Danny, these guys in his house, and they're like, hey, this van is already out here making these laps. And so we're just set. Like, I've been warning everyone in the neighborhood about this, and I know that probably I would just make things work so that Danny's going to go handle it. And so he jumps out of bed, he gets my old wooden baseball bat that I had as a kid, puts on, he's got this like Clint Eastwood poncho thing, he's cut a thing out, and his, and his uh, Indiana Jones hat, and he heads down the street. He's, he's, he's moving so fast he even forgot to put his shoes on. And he hides in the bushes, and here this van comes around the corner, and Danny jumps out and screams, Ah! Stop! Right? We're going to get these guys so they can't just escape and go do this somewhere else. Well, instead of the van stopping, they slam on the gas and start going at him as hard as he can. And so he just dives out of the road. And then he gets up and he's like, I got to put a dent in this van or break a window out or something, throws a rock. And it, because we got to catch these folks. And then he's thinking, Where are the police at when you need them? Well, here come the police. But they're coming with the white van. And so Danny's got like super street smarts. I'd have still been sitting there scratching my head. And so he knows, I probably need to go hide. And, uh, and so he goes and hides. And the police get out and says, these two newspaper ladies say somebody's been harassing them. This house has been intimidating us for a week now. And now they've had somebody attack us. And here I was, have went and warned all the neighborhood. I mean, everybody's on lockdown. The human trafficking is taking place. Lock up your women and children. We've got this, though. You're in good hands. Fear can get exaggerated fast. When you start to fear people, when you start to worry about the worst that could happen, you go into this high alert mode that takes over your mind, that takes over your heart, and then takes over what you do, and and honestly, you can get a little crazy. And one of the worst ways that this happens in my life is not a, a failed rescue attempt like that, 
But it's the way that I view other people, the way I view you, is I have this fear of man, is the language that the Bible uses. This fear of what people think about me. You've probably heard me talk about this before. I still have it. And it can make me insane sometimes. It can leave me drained. It can leave me weary. It can, it can render me ineffective. And it doesn't only affect me, it affects all the relationships around me. If you need more testimony to that, just talk to my wife. Even about entering weekends like this. Man, I've got to preach. These people love me, and I still don't know why, but they love me. And so I've got to get up here, and I've got to perform. I've got to make this count so that they still love me. <laughs> and then I'm very hard to live with. And maybe, maybe some of you can relate to that. In your relationships, in your workplace, I mean, and especially in your missional communities. If you're not careful, you'll, you'll just forget even who you are. Because you're just wanting to be whatever you have to be so that you know that everyone around you is cool with you. The good news of Jesus is really freeing when it comes to this. I know you guys know this, most of you. If you don't know, you, there's really good news for you. Is that Jesus has come to this world and he has earned for you the full approval before the God of the universe that your soul longs for. But what I want us to think about a little bit today is to drill down a little deeper into that in God's word because this can't just be an, a little phrase that we throw out here. One of those phrases, God is glorious, so I don't need any other's approval. We've got to drill down a little deeper though. We've got to think about how this affects our stories. It can't just be a fridge magnet that we look at to get us out of a tough spot or to make us feel like we've got some grasp on what's going on in our hearts. We've got to be prepared to live out of this reality. This week, probably this afternoon. And what does it look like to be prepared? I think we see a picture of this in Acts chapter 5. That what it prepares us for, we're going to see, is really tough situations, but an unparalleled experience of God's power, but all, and also really tough conversations, but unparalleled opportunities for gospel proclamation. So we see this first thing here. It prepares us for tough situations. I'm not going to read all this again, but we see that what it looks like when making disciples with Jesus is supreme is over the fear of man. So this is what we're what we're about this morning is that we must be prepared to live under the reign of Jesus and not the fear of men. So right, if you walk out of day, here today, what did what did we talk about? We talked about being prepared to live our lives under the reign of Jesus and not the fear of man. And this is good news because it prepares us for tough situations. This is what we see the disciples are in. If you think that living in this freedom is going to make your life easier, then wrong. When we live into the freedom of the gospel and we open up our lives, our stories, and our hearts to these freeing truths, it's not going to make things easier. It's going to make things better. And easier and better are not the same things. Contrary to what maybe our country would like to tell us at times. Because what we see that happens here is these disciples do not learn their lesson from the authorities. And so if you were to look back into chapter 4, you see these disciples have already been told this. 
They're out preaching the gospel. They've already been beat for this. They've already been sent home. They've already been told to shut up. They've already been told to live as cowards. They've already been told this isn't how we work around here. They've already been told quit bucking the system. But they just keep going on. The reality of the reign of Jesus as supreme. And so what does that cause? It causes jealousy. If you see that, notice verse 17, the end. The high priest rose up, all who were with him, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. If you live in freedom from the fear of man, get ready. That's going to make everybody uncomfortable. That type of self-secure freedom in Jesus Christ makes people nervous. So don't expect if you start living this out in your home, in your workplace, or in your missional community, people are just going to come up and give you hugs. They're probably going to be trying to do things to poke holes in that. But not only does it cause this jealousy, but it causes jail. So they get locked up, verse 18. They're arrested and they're put in public prison. You're thinking, God, is that how you're going to reward me? But what it sets the stage for is an experience of God's power they would have never experienced were it not for them living into the consequences of this glorious freedom. So we see that during the night, this angel of the Lord comes, opens the prison doors, brings them out. And says, just go keep doing it, boys. Just go keep being faithful. Go keep being fearless. They would have never experienced the power of God in this profound way. Had they not trusted in the promise of God that his reign is supreme. Now, if you keep reading, you realize it doesn't always happen that way. A couple chapters later, a dude named Stephen is going to be faithful And he's not going to end with an angel walking him out of a prison, but he's going to be ended with an angel welcoming him to heaven. But what he gets to experience, sometimes we experience the glorious power of God, and sometimes we experience the glorious sustaining grace of God. But either way, it's a win. Either way, it's better because we get more of God. But at the heart of fear of man, however humble it may appear on the outside, is, a, is idolatrous hearts like mine wanting more of me. But when we live from fearlessness, we find ourselves in these tough situations that make way for this unparalleled experiences of God's power. Our children, one fourth of July, got all of these glow sticks. And they love glow sticks. I don't know if your kids love them. But we had a weird sort of experience later that night. Is they had some left over and they wanted to, to keep them in their beds. And they wanted to, to be able to look at them while they were going to sleep. And at the time, one of them, I can't remember which one it was. It was one of the boys. Uh, they were still a little afraid of the dark. And so they're laying in there. They want their glow sticks on. And they're like, all right, mom and dad are going to bed. We're going to turn out the lights and leave. And you'll get to experience your glow sticks. Well, you turn off the light. Ah, ah, I'm scared to death. Turn the light on. Turn the light on. And so you turn the light on. Ah, I can't see my glow stick. <laughs> turn the light off. Turn the light off. Ah. <laughs> it's like, 
Son, if you want to see that stick glow, we're going to have to turn the light out. If you want to see the power and experience the joy of that light, we're going to have to get it dark in here. That just pretty much sums up a lot of my life. God, I want to see your power. I want to experience your glory. I I want to do this stuff. I don't know about you, but I believe the God of Acts is the God of Paragold right now. And I I want that. But but I don't want him to make it hard. (laughs) I don't want to do the jealousy jail part. I just want to do the angel showing up in my room part. We're the same, right? I want to see the power of God at work in my children in their perfection. Now I want to I want to don't you want I want to see my missional community storm the gates of hell. I want to see people reconciled but not need reconciliation. I want to see people saved from deep and hard addiction. But could we do that in six weeks? Could I send them something to listen to? And then we can make a video about how awesome it was? If we put off the fear of man for a life under the reign of Jesus, we're going to find ourselves in tough situations. If you don't know that, then, then you've not been a Christian, probably. It's hard. You're going to find yourself in desperate places like the disciples are here relationally and circumstantially. But that's where you're going to experience God's power. You're going to find yourself in places where you cannot strategize your way out. God has a way of putting us somewhere where you just can't plan your way out. You're locked behind bars. Right? There's no plan that accomplishes this. God just shows up. In your marriage, you're going to think, wow, we're really, you know, we just learned this thing from the Bible about how our hearts, and now it's going to be easy. It's not. You know, Luke's going to preach this sermon on parenting, and we'll just go home and knock it out. And you're just going to try not to kill somebody. (laughs) One of the things that uh, I've learned from Adam's influences, and I know many of you are these stories. You're learning about your personality through using the Enneagram. You're learning about how your stories have shaped the way that you live, whether that, that your personality out in a healthy way or unhealthy way. And I know some of you are saying, I wish that you wouldn't have told me that. Can we just go back to pretending like it was before? I mean, I can handle a few behavioral techniques and steps, but I didn't really want to see how broken I was. I want to encourage you to lean into that because it's in those dark places where the power of God and the grace of God are going to be experienced like never before. And it will not be easy. But it will be better. It will be better. 
But not only tough situations, right? So you're going to live free from the fear of man and into this faith that Jesus is supreme over your story and over your situation. Tough situations, but an unparalleled experience of God's power and grace. But also, it's going to lead you into tough conversations, but an unrivaled opportunity of gospel proclamation. So this is what we see in verses 27 through 32. It really starts back in verse 22, but we'll just go there. So the disciples don't learn their lesson. They continue just to live in this fearless, bold faith of proclaiming the gospel and to see as many people in the city experience the power of God and the grace of Jesus from the, from the burden of just dead, dry, gospelless religion. And the leaders are baffled. So notice, uh, this is back in verse 24. It says, Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, that these guys, just right when they got out of jail, just go back and do the same thing that got them through in jail, it says they were greatly perplexed. What's going on here? A little intimidation usually can get people in their place. There's something different about these people. Who knows, you may be facing some people as you dig into your story, as you dig into the gospel, as you seek to live out this freedom, who intimidate you and say, don't go there. And they see you struggling with it, that it's not easy. But you're going to baffle them like, why do you want to do that? Why do you care so much? What this causes when Jesus is supreme over your life and over your mission, it just demands an explanation. This is one of the first things I learned from this church, the family of churches that we're a part of, is that we want to live a life that demands a gospel explanation. We don't want to be normal. We don't want people to say, there's people who go to church on Sunday. Well, who doesn't around here? We want to be people that live lives in our workplaces, around our families, around our friends, around those our MCs are on common mission to. When they're just like, I don't make sense. You're actually doing what's not easier. You're actually having conversations that are really hard. You're not just saying, let's just all agree to get along because people need to think we're perfect. No, we realize that doesn't help anybody. It's like the least attractive thing. But what, kind, what does this demand an explanation of? Or verse 29, it demands an explanation of God's sovereignty. And sovereignty sounds like a big word. It just means it demands an explanation that we believe God is supreme. That's what I think this text is saying. So notice verse 29. What's the explanation Peter gives? We told you to stop doing this. Why do you keep doing it? It says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. You've got to feel this. This isn't just somebody who gets on your nerves at work. This is the government. These are people with the power of execution. So, so don't say, well, the Bible can't relate to the intimidation I face in my life, whether from Satan or from other people sort of carrying out that accusation in my life. Don't say they don't understand what condemnation doesn't feel like. No, these guys know we do this, we could be dead tomorrow. So it demands an explanation that we believe that God is supreme. We believe that God is the author of all creation. 
We believe God is ruling right now in our lives over our stories over this mission, over this church, over this city, over this country, over the world. He's on the throne. So I see you sitting there in your seat of power, but I see a bigger throne behind you. And who's on the throne? Demands an explanation of Jesus' supremacy. Verses 30 and 31. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree, and God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. Just want to underline that. They're speaking here of a victory that these guys think they've won, but these guys, the disciples, know the true story, that Jesus has been victorious. And this word leader, not trying to to sound smart or something. If you know me, you know that's not really the case. But this word leader, you can go Google it. That's about how smart you need to be to understand this. Is this word leader really in the way it was used in the Greek language is the same word for hero. You're saying this hero. The same language that would have been used of Hercules. The same language that would have been used in in, in not... Not only evoking the, the savior of Israel, but the hero of the world. And they, it gives them courage. It gives them courage. And they give voice to it. It's really the gospel in 36 words right here. And it demands an explanation of the Spirit's Work, person and work. Verse 31. Actually, verse 32. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. You see, Father, Son, and Spirit. Lord, Savior, Hero, empowering presence. The apostles here are living in a an alternate reality, the true reality to what these persecutors are and intimidators are, and it changes everything. I remember when, about 10 years ago, I guess now, watching my dad fly in a helicopter known as Life Force from a hospital on the way to a better hospital and wondering if he would live. Now, if you knew my dad, you thought of my dad... If you knew him, you knew Winston Cigarettes. Might be somebody in here's favorite brand. But growing up, it's hard to me imagine my dad is a super hard worker, but right, there's always that cigarette flopping around. He couldn't do it as good as my grandpa. I don't know how he did it. It's like, I don't, it didn't even look like, look like it was suspended in air. That has nothing to do with this story. <laughs> and his were Vantage. But anyway, so my dad, right, he's just... He's a smoker. And from my earliest days, this is what I think of him smoking. But if you guys were to meet him now, you would not ever know that. He doesn't smoke anymore. He doesn't smoke anymore. Now, certainly he received plenty of guilt over the years for doing that, right? Because we know, if you're my age, we all grew up in the era of, you know, guilting our parents to stop smoking. And... You know, pressure from my mom 
But that didn't work. But that helicopter ride worked. (laughs) And it might not work for everybody, but it worked for him. Because he had come in contact with a reality way bigger than the nicotine fix of a cigarette. He stared death in the eye, the loss of his family, the loss of his children, the loss of his health. And you talk about demanding an explanation. Him going to work and not popping out a pack of cigarettes like everybody else did. What's going on? Well, let me tell you guys, I'm not less manly. I just don't want to die. And I'm super active and super healthy, but they said this is what's causing it. And this is how God frees us and changes us. Not through guilt, not through manipulation, but just when we get a vision of a God who is bigger. This is what the Bible means by the fear of God. Not us crouching down, fearing condemnation like he's going to strike us. But it's this holy reverence where like everything compared to you is nothing. (laughs) And that's what sets us free. To have these hard conversations like they're having. And for us to point not to our own power, but to the reign and rule of Jesus. If you follow Jesus like this, guess what? You're going to be loved by some people, but you're going to be hated by other people. If you think you can be culturally savvy or cute enough or sweetie sweet enough to have everybody like you, then you're not going to be faithful to God's word. You're going to have to have hard conversations. And in that moment, you're going to have to see not only that person across the table or across the kitchen, you're going to have to see Jesus ruling and reigning. Above all. You're going to have to believe that a sovereign God is with you. A supreme savior. And a present spirit empowering you. Man I stink at this. This is why I need a Jesus who's better than just a good example at this. I need a substitute. I've already failed at this. Jared knows. He has to remind me, nice guys finish last. (laughs) Well, being nice isn't really in the Bible. Being kind is. Being courageous is. Loving people is. But we don't love people when we leave people alone apart from the word life. So we look to Jesus. And what do we see him doing? He walked into the darkness. He said, I came and entered the darkness. He said, Father, turn the lights out. We're going to show them your glory. We're going to show them your glory. He went to a cross for all of us cowards. All of us self-protecting people who want to manage our image. And have people like us and affirm us. He said, I see it all. And I'm going to cover it all. And I'm not going to give in to the fear of man for one second on this earth. And all of that perfect life of courage, I'm going to count it to you. And you deserve to die because you 
You love everybody else in here more than you love my father. And you think their opinion of you is better than his. That's treason. That's rebellion. That's worship of the creature over the creator. And guess what? I'm not here to condemn you for it. I'm here to rescue you. I'm here to cover it. This is good news. And then, when it looks like I'm the biggest fool hanging naked on that cross, everybody laughing at me, they're going to put me in this tomb, and on the third day, I'm going to come out and show them who's king. And then I'm going to give that same power to you through the Spirit. So you can walk into your living rooms and your kitchens, your workplaces, and into your own heart, into your own story with boldness and confidence. And so you can stand when you're treated with jealousy or you're thrown in jail. And know I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm in you. Can you just imagine what it would look like to have a city full of people like that? Can you imagine Paragold full of missional communities where Jesus is supreme over the fear of man? That's going to demand some kind of explanation. Danny and I might have ended that night feeling a little embarrassed. And we didn't care because something bigger was at stake at the moment we thought than our reputation and our safety. And maybe some of you think, if I trust Jesus, I'm just going to end up looking stupid. (laughs) If I apply this, if I step out of here with faith and engage some tough situations and engage some tough conversations, then I'll probably just look dumb. Well, guess what? Maybe you will. The only way we walk into those times is we keep our eyes on Jesus. Because we know the one counted as a fool by the world was the one now who is counted king of kings and lord of lords. And he's with you. So take that next step. Step of faith.